0: I met a guy this week and he told me that he hasn't slept for 30, he didn't sleep for 35 days straight. And, and I said, I was thinking in my mind, how, how can you stay awake for 35 days? And he heard a voice telling him, go out there and die. Die for other people. Go out there and end it all. Go and take your own life. And I was also reminded of a woman that hates God because her mother died. A group of church members came and prayed for her mother and said that God will heal your mother. Well, she died. She was angry. And she wandered far away from the Lord. She never came back. Very compassionate, generous woman giving a lot of money to charity. And I was also thinking about a man who was taking care of a wife who was paralyzed by depression. That she can't do anything much. How do we make known the unknown God in the hurting world? How can we turn suffering into blessings? As we look at the scripture in Acts chapter 17, I want to follow Paul and how he encountered different people of different culture in different cities. And I want to connect that to us, to our church, as we talk about making disciples. So church, how did you encounter God this week? Where did you find Him? What did He speak to you? Where did you experience him? This week? As Paul came to Thessalonica. Which was the capital of Macedonia. Important city. He came there. As it was a custom, a tradition. He went into a synagogue. And he opened the scripture, Acts chapter 17. He opened the scripture and taught from the scripture. And he said, this is the Jesus that I preach to you. This is the Jesus that I preach to you that he must die. And that he was raised from the dead. Many Greek Gentiles They believed as as Paul opened the scripture in Thessalonica. But not all were happy. The Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. And sought to bring out the people. But when they did not find them. They dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city. Crying out. Those who have turned the world upside down. Have come here too. Santa Clara First Baptist Church. When we make disciples. When you make disciples. Prepare them for suffering now. When you make disciples, teach the one that you're discipling about suffering. Suffering now. Prepare them, teach them how to suffer now so they know when the world comes at them. They will know how to stand, withstand the storm of life. Many of us haven't suffered much for Christ. But I tell you, there is no greater joy when you suffer and you suffer for Christ. It is one of the most amazing feeling that you have when you suffer for Christ. I remember when I was preaching in India. There was this guy. They had been following me. And I, I didn't take notice, but it became evident after a day that there are some people that are following me in plain clothes. And as I was preaching, there was a captain that was standing at the door in full uniform. And he's asking me, captain of the army, he said, come. I was in the pulpit in the middle of preaching. And he called me down from the pulpit. And I went out and talked to the captain. He said, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? This is a worship place. I was talking about my rights and constitutional rights and I was getting a little upset and then I suddenly just calmed down. This is not the place to get upset. I talked to him calmly and gently and he said, I'm just following orders from above. I don't want to do this. We talked and I went up and preached again. Picked up where I stopped and started preaching. That evening, because I took a medical team, that evening, there was an Indian army that came to the medical team needed, needing medical care. Right. And it brought me great joy to serve the people that were trying to sabotage what we are doing. Great joy. When you suffer for Christ, the joy that you have is incomparable with anything. Teach young people to suffer and trust God in suffering. You know why? Because God met us as a suffering god. The god that came and met us we met him through suffering. And Isaiah 53 painted this picture that he was bruised for our transgression. He was rejected and despised. He has known grief. And by his stripes, we are healed. The God that we worship here today met us through suffering. He's a God of suffering. When you make disciples, prepare the young ones, the youth, the older ones, whoever you're discipling how to suffer then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea but both Silas and Timothy remained there so in Thessalonica there was riots and mobs and Jason suffered he suffered for Christ He was being dragged out of his house, and he put a security. Only then, they were let go. Now, they went to Berea, and it was a little different in Berea. And the spirit of the Lord opened the hearts of people, and and the and the ministry was so fruitful. You know what happened? The religious group, the Jewish people, there raise up a mob against Paul and Silas again. And he couldn't stay. So what did he do? He left Berea and went to Athens. But both Silas and Timothy were asked to stay in Berea. When you make disciples, prepare them to persevere. My friends, exuberance is not faithfulness. We say, "Let's fire our youth up. Let's fire up our children. Let's fire up our congregation. Let's lit them up." Right? But when the music dies and the light goes down, they can't stand on their own because spiritual things. Is not emotional matter. It's a spiritual matter. Exuberance, being fired up, being lead up, is not faithfulness. But we teach them how to persevere. When I was in college, doing my undergrad, my cousin, who's senior to me, wanted to start a prayer group. So the prayer group is supposed to be right after dinner, before an evening uh, meeting. I went to a private college. So we have an evening roll call every evening. You have to be at the dorm at that certain time. If you're not in that roll call evening, you get in trouble, right? So we have this windows of two hours. I went to a co-ed private college. So two hours, right after dinner. And this two hours is the perfect world, right? I mean, this is where... All the pretty girls come out to walk in the campus, right? And your pastor is not going to miss this two hours. I want to be in this perfect world because this is where all the flirtings and all the romance happen, right? And my cousin, who is senior to me, he wants to start a two hour a prayer meeting within this, within this time. I mean, crazy, crazy, right? Who is going to do that? He was going to do that. And I said, okay, I will sign up and do it with you. So we started this prayer meeting. And missed all all these pretty girls. I'm going to miss them, right? By the way, when you become a Christian, pretty girls are still pretty girls. I just wanted to let you know. Uh, By the way, my brain is feeding a lot of things to my mouth. I'm just going to stop here. Right? And that's part of growing up. That's maturity, I guess. So we started... Some young people are laughing at me and smiling at me, right? Yeah, they're happy this morning. So we started the prayer meeting. The first month, it was few of us, less than 10. Less than 10 people started coming to that prayer meeting. Well, since your pastor is so charming and charismatic... (laughs) You know what happened? Yeah, I see you shaking your head. Yes, I love you, right? Well, it became the big deal. All the pretty girls started coming to the prayer meeting. And you know what happened when all the pretty girls come to the prayer meeting? Who followed? The boys. It became a fashionable thing to come to that prayer meeting. This small group, less than 10 multiplied in all the campuses. And everyone was going to that prayer meeting. Then my cousin stopped going. And I said, cousin, what happened? Started this. No, this is not the goal or the vision that I have. I wanted a real prayer meeting where people come and pray and cry and come before the Lord. This has become so lead up fashionable. And people are coming from the wrong reason and he stopped coming. See, exuberance, being fired up, lit up, being fashionable is not being faithful. You can follow the crowd. Because it's an in thing to do. This happened in the university. When I came up in the university. When I was doing my master. They asked me to lead this university program, a church. When I went there, there were about 30, 35 people worshiping on Sunday and about seven or eight on Wednesdays. You know what happened? Within a year, there wasn't even a place in that small chapel for worship. People were standing out in the lawn. And this prayer prayer room that is a little, is about the size of our fireside room. There were about 80 to 90 people sitting on the floor body to body and some standing on the walk, right? But you know what happened? Some of them came because the pretty girls were there. And when rough, tough thing happens, they fizzle away and disappear. When the lights go down, when the music goes down, when the pretty girls are gone, they disappear. When we disciple people, we ask them to persevere. Without perseverance, nothing worthwhile can be accomplished in life. All the great things and worthy things that have been accomplished in the world today has been people that have put a lot of time, committed to it consistently, consistently, And persevered. And things happen. Miracles happen. Extraordinary stuff happens. Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found... An altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. Therefore one whom you worship. Without knowing him I proclaim to you. When I was sitting with Dr. Bravu, The president of the seminary. And he was telling me why the Hindus and Muslims are coming to the Lord. I asked him what did you find? Why did they come to the Lord? Before it used to be that they had a dream. They, they saw Jesus in the dream. And told me that, told them that he was God. And many people I, I know, I have discipled a, a Muslim kid like that. Muslim kid like that. Who saw Jesus in his vision and came to the place to worship, where we were worshiping. And we explained the Bible and he became a believer. Well, one phenomenon that is happening among these 500 Muslim converts, first generation Christian, was that they had the Quran, and they had the New Testament in their vernacular. And they were reading the Quran and reading the New Testament. And they found out, oh, what is the Quran saying? Oh, here is what is explained. And they decided to become a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ. Because they were reading the Quran and the Bible side by side. Right? We have to open the scripture. We have to open the scripture in in, in a culture where we are engaging many religion, many gods. Here in Santa Clara, in Silicon Valley, we have, we have temples, we have mosques. We have all kinds of worship place. How do we make known this unknown God to other people? We have to open the scripture. We have to know the scripture. We have to share what God has done in our life. That God has been real. That God is real and He's working in us. Only then we can make disciples. And this is what Paul is doing. The one who has been apprehended on the way to Damascus. That a great light came and he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying why do you persecute me? This is the Paul that's telling in Athens. He wasn't going to stop in Athens. Athens was not his plan. When he was coming from Thessalonica to Berea, coming to Athens, he was just waiting for Timothy and Silas. But his spirit was provoked. Because he saw all the gods in all the temples, in all the city halls. There were about more than 30,000 gods named in the city hall, and the places, and the temple. All the places, has gods, and the name of the gods. And his spirit was provoked. Why? Why? Because he knew that God does not dwell in... Places that was made by hand. so so. Amen. And he wanted to share this to the people. When was the last time we were provoked by the spirit that we had compassion for people that they, you know they were dying and they were lost, that your spirit is provoked? tell the good news to them you know when you make disciples prepare them to proclaim Jesus come to our youth come to our children because it's fun fun is good faithfulness is better so what did Paul do he said he preached because when he came to uh, to Athens these people the stoics the epicurean they saw this hey here's a strange fellow talking about strange idea let's call him so what did they do they dragged him to areopagus mars hill that's the supreme court in the marketplace that's the place that's it And Paul talked there. And he said, This is the unknown God that I want to share to you. He is the creator of the universe. He created everything. And he said, He gives to us life and breath and all things. What he is saying is, Jesus gives life. Speak Christ in the culture that we are living in. Speak life in the culture that we're living in. Speak Christ in the culture that we're living in today. When the culture has become so fascinated with death. This year has been uh, uh, a challenging year for many young people. uh, And and people suffering and grappling uh, with the anxieties of life and depression. Because many celebrities took their own life. And in some way, taking your own life has been romanticized by the celebrities. It's like it's a fat thing to take your own life. No, you speak life. It is the enemy, Satan, that wants to rob and steal and kill us. And Jesus came to give us life. Yes. So, my friends, until until you are willing to die for something... You haven't figured out what to live for. Until you are willing to die for something. You haven't figured out what to live for. Jesus was willing to die for you and me. Jesus was willing to die for you and me, my friends. He came to die for us. So that we may have what? Life. Can you say life? Yes, thank you. He came to die so we may have life. There was only one goal that Christ had. And what was that? To give us life abundantly and life eternally. That was his goal. He knew what to die for. And he knew what to live for. Until we're willing to die for something, we haven't figured out what to live for. I was reading a material on the Jewish people and it says that the Jewish people will willingly give up their life to abandon then to abandon being a Jew. Did you know that? They know what to live for. What are you living for? What are you willing to die for? remember when I was in Delhi University. I went to a Bible study group. And this pastor asked, how many of you are willing to die for if somebody comes in here with a knife and a gun? If you don't deny your name, Christ, how many are willing you die for? And I just immediately raised my hand. I'm willing to die right now. And he laughed and other people laughed at me. And I'm thinking, what's so funny? At that time, I was willing to die. I, Right? Now I have my wife and my kids. You know, I don't know, 50%. I don't know. Well, no, but when it comes to it, yes. Will I deny Christ? No. Yes, you would die for it. I would die for the life of the people. They have life for people. This is why I am serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Living my worldly dreams. My worldly dreams, to have wealth and fame and status, I left those behind to serve Christ because He gave me life. He gave me life. And when He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, for in Him we live and move and have our being, and we are also His offspring. Jesus chose community. Jesus chose community. Speak Christ inclusive message. It it could have been anything. The world had different languages at that time. People were different all over the world. They have different gifts, different food, different individuality, different personality. The world was so different. God, Christ, could have chosen anything else other than community. He could have said, I'm going for exceptionalism, right? I'm going for special status. I'll make these people exceptional. I'll make these people special. I'll separate this group. Because that was what the Greek was saying, that we were special people at that time. They were the exclusive people. The Jews were saying we were the chosen people. People who were there. How special they were. How exceptional they were. Christ could have used those things and say, yep, this is exceptional. This is not exceptional. This is special. Not so special. Well, He chose community. He chose community. God's grace is global. Period. The grace of God is global. And exceptionalism counters Christ's inclusive message. When we talk about being special, being exceptional, that's what the Romans were doing, the Greeks were doing at that time. And Paul said, We are one offspring. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor free nor slave, nor male nor female. Everyone is one in Christ. This changed and turned the world upside down. No wonder. Are you with me, Santa Clara First Baptist Church? Yes, I feel it. I love you guys. I love you guys. Wake up, Joe, right? Oh, yeah? I thought Wake Up, Joe. There's a song, Wake Up, Joe. I'd Wake up, seat! <laughs> All, right. All right. By the way, before I go on and finish it, I want to uh, thank uh, the church for loving us so much this October. Pastor's appreciation. Thank you for your wonderful cards. Thank you for the love that you show. And Nicole and Alex, you guys did a wonderful job. Let's give them a big hand, right? All right. Yes. So, now, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, command all men everywhere to repent. For he has appointed a day of which he will judge the world in righteousness. By the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus gives us hope and eternal life. Speak Christ, call to repentance. Right? It's okay to talk about sin in the church. Because it is sin that enslaves us. From doing all the things that we don't want to do. Sin is bad. Sin is bad. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> and it's okay to tell our kids that sin is bad. To the youth. And to mature, starting young Christian. Right? So what is repentance? We're going to set this up. And we're going to worship the Lord. So repentance. One meaning of repentance is... Uh, so sin... In Hebrew term, one term for sin is chet, which means to go astray, right? So repentance is what? To come back to the right path. Right? you say right path? I heard you, right path, yes. So sometimes we we associate repentance with what? Remorseful, weeping and crying and putting ashes, sackcloth, that is repentance. Yeah, that's a good picture. It's good to do that, right? But my friends, repentance—repent does not mean replay. Okay? Repent does not mean replay. Can you say replay? So I can hear it. Replay, right? So what do you do when you're remorseful and crying at home? What do you do? You replay all the sins. Oh, I'm so miserable, I'm so disappointed in myself, I'm so bad, I'm so bad, God's going to kill me, I'm going to hell, I'm bad. You just replay and replay and replay. Repentance means what? Get on the right track, immediately. You can cry on the right path. You can be remorseful on the right path, to whatever you want on the right path. But to repent means to immediately get on the right path, not to replay your sin again and again and over and over again. Because when you do that you're depressed. You're anxiety you have anxiety. You have this attack that's coming because you think that repentance means to go. No, no. Repentance means to immediately get on the light. Run to the light. When you make a mistake, the first thing you should do would be run to the light. Not to replay your sins. So repent from sin. So that we can heal other people. For the kingdom of God is near. You can turn your blessings, you can turn your suffering into blessings if you run to the suffering God because He met you by suffering. And He has the resources and answers to all your suffering. Right? I'm going to do this for church. I want you to memorize this for the week. Scripture memorization is so powerful. It's not an old style, old school. No. It's the most powerful thing you can do. Here it is. Psalm 56, verses 8 and 9. Right? You know my wanderings. You have kept my tears in your bottle. For what? Are they not in your book? So when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. And this I know. Because God is for me. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Did you, know, did you guys know that your tears are collected in the bottle by God? Some of you heard this for the first time today. It's a beautiful picture. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and lead us in worship. Right? Alright, can we read this together, my friends? Let's read it. You are my wanderings. Boot my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your bowl? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. And this I know because God is for me. God is for me. I'm going to ask Pastor Jonathan. Pastor Jonathan, can you be here? Uh, Pastor Dan? Is Pastor Dan here too? Yes. Uh, Can you be this side? And uh, Karen is at the back. And Karen and Steve will be at the back, at the center. And when we sing this song, if you need prayer, come down here or come go at the back and ask help. Share burden. Unload so your load is not heavy.